0: Welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List, where we talk to the people behind the productivity. We talk not only about being more effective and efficient, but also doing work with meaning and purpose. I am joined once again by Jeff Goins. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Hey, Eric. Great to be with you again. You, my friend, by this appearance, have now uh, beaten everybody else in terms of numbers of appearances on the show. It's kind of like the hosting club on SNL.
1: yeah. Awesome. I win. You win.
0: I don't know what you win. (laughs) You you win talking to me. Uh, That's not a great prize, but whatever. You, It's crazy because we've talked about every single one of your books mm. on through from even um, you are a writer. So start acting like one. We talked about Wrecked. We talked about the in-between. And now we're going to talk about the art of work. And I'm excited for this. I have a question that kind of ties all three of those, four of those, I guess, together. What is the art of work about and do you see the through line thematically from all of those books to this one?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um and uh, yeah, it's I mean it's fun to sort of have It'd be these... funny if
0: you answered no. <laughs> 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 no. What are you talking? Explain it to me, Eric. You know more about my books than than I do. Well I was gonna I was gonna
1: say, you know, that would be a great question for, you know a reader to answer and you're familiar with all those books yeah uh, the art of work is a is a book that is going to help you answer the question what is my life about uh what am i here for and uh the answer to that you know i i answered it not with a bunch of like um you know trite uh you know one-liners you know, success tips uh and i've read lots of books like that and i think those are great but I was sort of tired of uh, people talking about purpose and success in terms of aphorisms. You know, just do this and everything will be great. Um, so the book is a bunch of stories. It's a bunch of stories of people that have found meaning in their lives, uh, have found the work that they were meant to do. And uh, then I uh, find some common themes in all of those stories and tie them together with some you know practical applications to the reader. And what was fun for me is going through all of this and realizing Wow! Like this is this is true for my journey too. This is true for my journey of discovering that I was supposed to be a writer and quitting my day job and going through that you know transition. So you know, do I see the common theme? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I've always been tr- you know really intentional about really two things. One, uh, I, I always wanted to kind of just write about whatever I found interesting or inspiring and not get pigeonholed in a certain topic or genre. But at the same time, I never wanted to confuse my readers. And so I, I feel like uh, that as I write more and more books, the theme, the thread is going to become more and more um, apparent, uh, but uh, I pretty intentionally leave clues in whatever book I'm writing for the next book that I'm thinking about writing. And so, I mean, you saw this uh, with, um, you know, you're a writer, uh, was all about becoming a writer, it tied in with, you know, Wrecked, which is all about um, really understanding that your life isn't about you, and that connected with the you know the, the in between, all about you know all of those in between moments in life, um, you know, where we're waiting for the next thing to happen, and then in that book I talk about waiting for your calling, waiting to you know discover your purpose, and I even tell my story in that, and that was you know very much a setup for this book, which is a um a larger unpacking of that topic.
0: Yeah, as I sat there listening. Reading, I, I heard your voice. That's, I guess, how I am explaining it. I was um, reading it over your shoulder. You were, Yes, to and, you. you know, and then on the other side was the the other Jeff, the the good and the bad Jeff. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> weird picture. Um, yeah, because we we talked last when last time when we talked when we were talking about the in between, we talked about calling.
1: Yeah, and mm-hmm. we
0: talked about you know the ten thousand hour rule and practicing in public and you know people working towards one thing and, and getting so paralyzed and thinking, oh my gosh, I have to, I, I can't do, I can't work on any one thing right now unless it's the right thing because right. otherwise I'm wasting my
1: time and what a fallacy that is, you know? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, this book kind of builds on that that topic uh, or that idea, which is, um, you know, the basic premise of, of the book, and I talk about this in the author's note, where I basically admit that I tried to write a guru book. Like I tried to write a book that, Made me look awesome and said, hey, if you do these things, you can be awesome too. And when I finished it, I was like, ah, I don't like this book. Like, This isn't a a book that I would read or believe. Uh, I want to hear how this applies to all kinds of situations and circumstances and you know everyday ordinary people because that's how i often feel most of the time i don't feel awesome i don't feel like you know i i could um do the things that i you know see well packaged put together people doing and so um i you know in the book i say this this was a process that surprised me writing the book and also finding my calling it was something that's kind of snuck up Snuck up on me, like you know the, the girl next door, and all those you know cheesy eighties <laughs> r- romantic comedies it's been there all along, but it takes a certain process of becoming aware of oh like this is what i 'm supposed to do, and what's interesting, all the stories in the art of work um, illustrate that, or somebody thought they were going to do one thing and ended up doing something else, or the thing that they wanted to do uh there was no direct path to it. It was this kind of, you know, windy road of all of these things that looked like accidents and obstacles. And yet when they finally got to this point of epiphany where they realized this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life, they look back, they look back on it and realize, wow, all of that was preparation for what was to come. And I I hope that when people read this book there's a certain sense of encouragement that what's happening in your life right now is more significant than you realize, and if you can be aware to you know the, the process, if you can listen to your life, as Frederick Beekner says, um, then you can actually prepare for uh, the thing to come, while you know enjoying the, the process al- along the way.
0: Yeah, so here's my. I'll, I'll give you my answer to the the thematic through line from the yeah. the books. Because as you were saying it, it was popping up in my head. Like, well, yeah, that's this, and this is this. The the you are a writer, so start acting like one. Is to just start moving in a direction, mm-hmm. right? And then Rect is realizing, oh, I've attempted and I've failed, and I'm also realizing that this thing's so much bigger than just about being about me. Yeah, and then in the in between. It's about waiting in those in between times, trying to figure out what the next thing is, and not forgetting that where you are is also important. And I kind of carry all that weight and mm, meaning when I look when I look to the cover of the book, this book, Art of Work, and I see the dented paper airplane. Yeah, <laughs> and, and let's talk about that. Like, what? Yeah. Why? What's the significance of that dented paper airplane? I mean, does it? Am I? Am I figuring out the mystery or what does yeah. it signify?
1: Well, like all you know, good art, uh, right? I don't know if a, you know, picture of a book cover is you know qualifies, but I, I like it. Um, you know, you don't want to over-explain it, but um, I'll kind of tell you about the evolution of, of the book cover. I, t- I tweeted about this at, at one point, so I'm sure you've you mm-hmm. know indexed that and printed that out and saved that to you know review. Uh, but I, I tweeted this at one point, uh, just the you know evolution of that cover. It started out as this um cartoon airplane you know this uh, uh you know something that somebody you know made with photoshop or indesign and um you know this this perfectly computer generated yellow paper airplane and uh, i like the idea of a paper airplane this thing that you kind of you know work on it's you know it requires uh you know some some muscle and you know it requires a little bit of creativity and it's you know it's um not necessarily a perfect process but if you do it decently well the thing is going to fly um, but, uh, what I didn't like about it is this book is all about unexpected things happening to people and then them realizing that, um, you know, it, nobody gets a free pass, but, you know, most of us don't feel like we've had the best opportunities in life. And, you know, I think everybody at some point, you know, has some luck, uh, good, but I think at some point, everybody also has some bad luck, you know? And I think most of us feel like, uh, you know, like we're trying to make sense of our lives and what we have to work with isn't that much. You know, we don't have the best opportunities. We don't have the best talents, uh, best education, you know, whatever. And uh, I think most people feel that way. And so, you know, what if discovering your purpose wasn't about, you know, creating some Perfectly computer-generated, you know, perfectly symmetrical airplane. Uh, what if it was really about, you know, this thing that you made with, you know, out of a out of a you know torn piece of uh, uh, you know uh, notebook paper from your you know high school notebook or something, and you tried to fly and it ran into a, a wall or you know the teacher stepped on it or something, and it's just sitting there and it still works. Uh, but it's waiting for you to pick it up and you know toss it again. And I think I mean that's sort of the idea of, of the book that um, uh, you've been dealt a bad hand at some point, or, or you're just not sure you know what to you know like how to make sense of things, and yet your life is sitting before you, waiting for you to you know do something uh, with it. And so you know that's I think one of the things you can read into the you know the their airplane lying there on on the ground with you know the, the nose of it dented.
0: Yeah. And that even speaks to the audience for the book, which honestly, you know, you and I have both been involved with marketing people and even done and do marketing ourselves, I guess. Sure. Really. Yeah. And there's that whole thing where people say, um, OK, now who's the audience for this? And there's that cop out <laughs> answer of it's for everyone. Everyone right. in the world yeah. can benefit from this. And and the thing is, is that's probably not false in this instance but there are some specific audiences that i think will really grab on to this and there's there's you know for example there's the the standard entrepreneur or business owner type people um
1: what are some of those other audiences Yeah, I mean, every author wants to say this is for everybody because I want everybody to buy their book. (laughs) Uh, But as you know, Eric, that's actually really bad marketing. Yeah. Because if I say it's for everybody, then it ends up being for nobody. And as a reader, I don't want to read something that's for everybody. I want to read something that's just for me, right? Because, you know, the average person buys one book a year and maybe reads it. And so when you're telling somebody, you know, this is my book, I I spent all this time, you know, writing, I obviously want everybody to read it, but that's a big ask of of most people. Um, I, I think, you know, I mean, there's probably some demographics that, you know, this book appeals to people that are, you know, at the beginning or middle of their careers kind of considering, like I was a few years ago, I had a great job working for a nonprofit. I enjoyed what I was doing, but I felt like I was missing out. And so, I mean, if that sort of resonates with you on any sort of level, um, this is a book that I think is going to help identify what the thing you're missing out on is and provides a practical process, uh, you know, with lots of anecdotes, lots of other stories that you can relate to for you to kind of figure that out. Um, I've also heard uh, from a lot of er early readers. That's, uh, you know, this is a great book for uh, boomers, people in their 50s and 60s, who are, I mean, in fact, I have a couple of stories uh, in the book of people that are, you know, kind of in, you know, uh, that that uh, second half of their life, thinking more in terms of s- significance and legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we touch on that. And then, you know, you, you touched on, I, I would think, probably the third audience. You know, so you've got kind of people that are thinking about career change, you have people that are thinking about significance, and then you have people that are are really thinking about... Um, you know, entrepreneurially, how do I go out and and do the thing that I want to do and, and succeed at it? And and I talk about some stories, you know, in, in the book about people like Walt Disney, Steve Jobs, people who had incredible success. And yet um, it was full of failure. <laughs> you know, It was full of this thing that we think in some ways is sort of a sign that you're doing the wrong thing. And the reality is in all these stories that um, I tell in the book, uh, failure was a necessary ingredient to uh, lead to success. Yeah, lots of people getting fired. Yeah, fired. <laughs> I mean it's like I was talking to a friend about this and I said, hey, how, how – how are you enjoying the book? Where are you at in the process? He's like, well, you know, like I'm in chapter two or three, um, you know, basically getting through all of these different bouts of cancer. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. The introduction talks about cancer. The, you know, the first chapter talks about a bunch of people getting cancer. Um, and I'm not trying to depress anybody, but the whole point of that is – Most of us feel like we've been dealt kind of a crappy hand in life, or that, you know, those people out there succeeding who have it all together, they must have something that I don't have. They must be special. And my job is just to kind of, you know, exist or survive. And uh, I think the reality is if you feel like you, know, you haven't got the luckiest breaks, you haven't got the best opportunities in life, that, does, that doesn't disqualify you from a life of significance. If all the stories in The Art of Work are true, and I promise you they are, um, it doesn't disqualify you from it. In fact, it's a prerequisite, things like failure, not really knowing, uh, you know, a feeling of being left out. These things uh, are prerequisites to finding a life of significance. They don't disqualify you at all. If anything, they qualify you.
0: Yeah, and even that dented paper airplane makes me think of and you've said this a couple times playing a hand um that it's not, maybe not even just getting dealt a bad hand which is part of life but also maybe you had a good hand but you you yourself played it poorly yeah, right. and you feel maybe guilt or frustration or you know you're the one who threw the plane and then it dented the wall I don't know if I can pick that plane back up again.
1: Yeah, all kinds of shame, you know, associated with attempting Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't
0: search.
1: And, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, we in the the book, there's this, um, section where we talk about failure, not as this like one thing that happened to you, you know, like at a certain period of, of your life, but as an, as a, as a season, you know, and and you look at people like, um, Benjamin Franklin, um, uh, I mentioned Walt Disney, even Steve Jobs, um, even mother Teresa. And they had this season of failure for some, some of them, it lasted 10 years of like trying something and it just not working and just sort of like trying to figure things out. And so, you know, like if that's the norm, if 10 years of failure is the norm, Ugh. you know, uh, then if you're, you know, if you've been trying to figure things out for the past three, four five years and just feel like nothing's working, well, you're ahead of the curve, you know, <laughs> at yeah. least, you know, Walt Disney and mother Teresa. And, you know, that's not bad company to be in. My daughter just turned 10 and, and, and actually that makes for me think of parents
0: themselves have kind of a, an attachment maybe to this as well, where they've not just the people that are, you know, boomers and career change or life focus change, but also, uh, you know, parents and, and actually this ties into your wife a little bit, doesn't it? In terms of now that, uh, you know, you became a writer and then there was, let's see, how long has it been now? Year and a half, two years since she was able to quit her day job, which was a goal for you guys. And, and has been, uh, uh, full-time stay-at-home mom somewhat is that Mm -hmm. am am i right i mean i think yeah our son aiden is two and a half and
1: ashley's been home with him uh ever since yeah
0: so but uh that's not he's not gonna be two and a half forever so (laughs) yeah so yeah there's there's that as well as you know parents looking forward and not that there's something wrong with dreaming past your kids that's also part of it is that there's not any kind of okay. This is the one thing I was put on Earth for, and now I've done it, and now I need to move on. <laughs> you know, um, right. what's the point anymore? You know, that it's just not. That's not how it works.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that well, I use the word calling or vocation a lot in the book, and I think a uh, you know, and you can think of it as purpose. You know, whatever you know, yeah, well, term uh, suits your fancy. That that's actually let's go back to that for a second. Yeah. There's a lot of people who.
0: There's a lot of people who haven't heard the word calling, I should say, Yeah, and then a lot of people who have. What do you think most people define that
1: word as, and then how are you defining it? So I use that word in the book for two reasons. One, I I like the word. It sort of aligns with my worldview and value system, Uh, and two – I hear more and more people using it to really express their their life's work, you know the, the thing that they were put on earth to do, not just a job, but really their, their overall purpose. And I like the, 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 um, the connotation of a calling, because traditionally you know the word vocation uh, means calling. Uh, and it was it was different from occupation in, in the sense that an occupation was just kind of a job that you know you had. I, I think of an occupation as it's something that just occupies your time. Yeah, you're occupying whereas, a space. <laughs> whereas vocation is something that you know is um, is a deeper. There's often a spiritual connotation. Traditionally, vocation meant you were called to the priesthood, you know, right. to, to work with the church. Uh, in the book, I argue that everybody has a calling, uh, not just to you know go work at a church uh, but to um, f- discover the reason that you were born and uh, to uh, find work that aligns with that purpose and build a life uh, around that work. And, and I think that a calling is not just something that you do. It's the person that you – uh, become. And so, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, spend a great deal of time and energy talking about, well, where does the calling come from? And, uh, you know, is is that from God? Is that from yourself? Is that from the universe? Um, I, I think that, you know, like I have my own beliefs about that and other people have their own, own beliefs about that as well. Um, the point of this book is not to, uh, discern the source, but to identify, um, do you know? Do you have this sense in you that you were meant for more, uh, and what do you do with that? And I think that as you move along that road, you discover all kinds of things about the process. I'm not so interested in examining, you know, exactly where does this come from and what does it look like, um, but rather, most people I talk to are talking about their lives with a sense of purpose, and and I hear people all the time use calling, both in religious and non-religious contexts. Um, And just, I just hear people talking about that more and more. And I think now is an appropriate time for us to talk about this in the context of work, not just as a means of making a living, but really as a means of making a meaningful life.
0: You and I have very similar um, viewpoints as to where we're approaching this topic. Yeah. And yeah, I like how you say it's, you know, it's not necessarily about, defining or or discerning the source of the calling. And I and I agree with you. I think that there's people both in and out of any faith-based um you know perspective that are using this word calling. And so what's funny is and I'm one of those word geeks, so it's like, oh, calling as if someone is calling you or right. not maybe even not someone or something, but you definitely feel the pull. Yeah. Um But what's great is the word calling or call means, you know, there's sound and it's coming from somewhere. So then there's the flip side of that where it's you and you're listening and you talk about listening to your life to find your calling. How do we do
1: that? Yeah, so that term, listening to your life, uh, I pulled from uh, a Frederick Buechner quote where he says, listen to your life, see it for the mystery that it is. And he's talking about paying attention to all these in-between times that we tend to miss, all of the little insignificant moments that are actually telling you significant things uh, about yourself. One of the things that I hear all the time when people are asking about, you know, what's my passion or how do I go live my dream, um often, you know, I've said this myself, maybe you said the same Eric, uh, how do you know what your dream is? How do you know what you're passionate about or which passion do you pick? And uh, I think the idea of listening to your life is a very practical process if before you rush off to go do something that you want to do. This is incidentally why I like the the word calling as opposed to passion or purpose or any of those words, which can be very self focused. And the book is really about how do you live a life of significance that isn't just uh, about you. That's very fulfilling uh, personally, but um, you know uh, is um, you know a means of you know uh, contributing good to the world. And listening to your life, I think, is the first step in the process. Uh, another uh, guy, another author by the name of Parker Palmer uh, says it like this. Uh, he has a great book um, you know, about this as well called Let Your Life Speak. And uh, in, in that book, he says, before I, can my, before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I need to listen to what it wants to do with me. And so practically what that means is look back at the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years of life, whatever you you have to work with, and um, ask yourself what are some common themes and what is that telling me about my future? I don't think that your past dictates your future, but it informs it. And so in my case, you know, I was an artist when I was a kid. You know, drawing cartoons of Garfield. I, pl- I started playing guitar when I was a teenager. Got into a bunch of different bands. Ended up touring after college with um you know with a with a group for a year. Uh, and um, I always loved writing. You know, I won the sixth grade spelling bee. I loved writing songs as a musician. Uh, when I was traveling with the band, I would write these weekly blog posts, and I got really into blogging. And then, you know, during my 20s, I worked for a nonprofit as a marketing director, spending most of my time with the messaging, you know, the copywriting side of things. And so I look back at that and I go, okay, like I've never been good at math. I've always been creative and writing is something that I've done my whole life. Maybe I need to get a little bit more serious about that in this, you know, next decade of of my life. And that was one of the exercises that I went through that made me realize I am a writer and I need to start, you know, being more serious about my writing. Acting like one? You that's can say right. it, you can say yeah. it. That's it. Winky face. Yes. <laughs>
0: emoticon. Um, yeah, the emoticon. Welcome to the emoticon podcast where we only speak in lol speak. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: that is not going to happen. And I'm going to leave all this in, so no editing.
1: <laughs> it's great.
0: Um, you're, yeah, and you're, you're listing off all these different skills. You even talk about different skill mastery. And again, I think that's kind of why there's that whole 10,000-hour rule that isn't necessarily true because it's just like, what it, because it's cumulative, right across the board, mm-hmm. and it's about developing. It, it, maybe the ten thousand hour rule applies to maybe your portfolio of skills and not mm. just one individual skill. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think you know the 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 honest truth is that the ten thousand hour rule, as we traditionally understand it. Uh, does not work it's not true meaning that you can uh just practice a single skill for 10,000 hours which is a lot of time i mean it's like uh several hours a day uh for you know uh, about a decade and uh you know if you do that then you know you'll you'll become a master at something and obviously if you do anything for that long you're going to become really good at it uh, but the reality is, and you know Malcolm Gladwell sort of coined this term in, in outliers, but he was pulling from a a study that was uh, led by a guy named K. Anders Erickson, uh, and he describes what he calls deliberate practice, which was you know kind of recoined as um, uh, you know the ten thousand hour rule first of all, the time allotment is just one factor. Um, another factor is that you have to push yourself to the point of like absolute exhaustion when you're doing the activity, whether it's practicing the saxophone or, you know, podcasting, uh, or, you know, shooting free throws in basketball, you have to do it to the point that basically you almost can't do it anymore for the day. Uh, it has to be so intense that, you know, like if you're in the gym or whatever, you're maxing out and then you have to start all over tomorrow and, and do it again. And, uh, in that respect, um, it becomes very difficult to practice something for you know mm-hmm. that way for that long if you don't love it, and so I think that practice is not just a means to get good at something; it's also a means of discovering what you want to do. In other words, it's possible to practice the wrong thing, and through that process of doing it, you know, gruellingly and you know with it, all kinds of intensity, to the point you go, ah, I don't want to do this. And um, you know, a lot of people have this fear. That if I took a passion or a hobby and turned it into a job, I, I might hate it and I think that 's true for a hobby i don 't think that's true for a calling and in, in other words, you know writing is one of the things that 's you know an important piece of my portfolio um and and I you know I like that you're describing it as you know as more than one thing which I definitely think is is true. But I learned this about music when I was touring with a band. I was practicing. You know, I had thousands of hours of practice, and I got really really good. I got much better than I ever thought I would be just by. And you know, I mean, some days we'd play five shows in a day uh, when I was traveling with the band. And by the end of that year, I didn't hate it. But I didn't love it anymore, and I was like, uh, I don't think I want to do this for a living. Now, the contrast that with writing, which I've been doing professionally, you know, kind of on the side, and then full time for about three years. Uh, so, you know, and I've done it on the side for you know twenty years before that. Um, every time I, I you know, do it, and I do it more and more, and and do it with a lot of intensity. Uh, I just feel more and more energized. Uh, I love the challenge. I love learning. I love growing. It's one of those things that I want to keep doing more and more. And I'm, I'm not worried about exhausting myself on it because, because it's it's good. It's something that I that I love doing. And I think practice is um, you know is is very instructive in how it helps us figure out what is the thing that I'm actually supposed to be doing. What is the thing that I can do to the point of utter exhaustion and then get up tomorrow and do it again and the next day and so on. Well, and you're in
0: your 30s, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So, and you've, you know, as speaking devil's advocate from the audience, oh, how lucky you are to have stumbled upon, and it's not been some easy process, but stumbled upon, you know, the thing that you're meant to do for the rest of your life, and now you can be happy and satisfied and all that. But I'm not there, and Mm. I'm actually 20, 30 plus years older than you. What am I supposed to do, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I don't know that I found the thing that I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life. Uh, I do feel like I've, you know, hit a point of resonance after my own ten years of trying to figure it out. Um, but uh, I think one one of the things that I talk about in the book, uh, you know, each chapter sort of introduces a, a different story, a different concept, and then very subtly debunks, I think, a common myth. And uh, one of the common myths about discovering your purpose or calling is that it's one thing. We've already talked about that. It's not one thing. It's really a collection of a few things. Uh, and I talk about the portfolio life. You know, really ordering your life as a uh, several different skills that you combine in an interesting and unique way, where you're offering to the world is um, uh, is is you know unique to your own personality and your skill set, as opposed to I just want to be the world's you know best you know writer or whatever it's really you know it's a combination of a bunch of different skills but the other thing that uh, i think people believe about this is that like once you could f- once you figure it out you've arrived and i i think of it more like a path like uh, if you're wandering around in a forest somewhere and you stumble upon a path, first of all, you're going to notice that, okay, this is some this is a path that people have trod before. They've trodden before. They've walked on it. I don't typically use tread, trod, and trodden, so I'm not sure how to conjugate those, but we'll just let that slide. Maybe you can edit that out, No, Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> tread, anyway, trod, and trodden. Now I've said it twice, so. Uh, you stumble upon a path. You go, okay, lots of people have walked this before because you know, there's dirt here. There's not you know shrubbery or whatever. And um, if I follow this, because there's not like dead bodies lying around, you know the <laughs> the implication is I'm going to get to where I want to go. I'm going to get out of the forest, right? Eventually, I'm going to get to the end of the trail. I think discovering your calling is like that. It's not getting to the end of the trail. That's the end of your life. That's when you're done. Um, it's finding the path and knowing kind of what's ahead and what's behind, and you know having an idea of where to step next, knowing that I'm still you know moving in the right direction. And and that's what I feel. I don't feel like I've arrived. I feel like yeah. I've discovered the path and I have an idea of of what's to come and you know in the book I talk about these different stages that are kind of interwoven uh, but you know it, it really begins with awareness with listening to your life and then ultimately leads to legacy. What am I going to leave behind? Hopefully, you know, the work that you've done has left an impact on others and other people can, you know, find their path by following in your footsteps. Well, and I think that's the the key there is a a worn path means other people have walked here before.
0: And that has to do ties in, you know, with apprenticeship with (laughs) what's funny is we're all almost in a sense doing a low level of or even a low impact version of apprenticeship with the web, the way it is these days mm-hmm. is, you know, you can follow someone on Twitter and see what they're saying, see what they're writing, watch their videos, all the different components to that and learn something from them. I think apprenticeship still means more of a one-on-one or a mentoring, an active mentoring, not a passive mentoring uh, relationship. But again, with a path that is worn and you find it, you realize, Oh, I'm not the only one who's ever walked this way or wrestled with this question, mm-hmm. and I think I'll walk this way for a while.
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely.
0: I think I just mentioned an Aerosmith song. <laughs> walk this way. Anyway, that's the theme song want, for the book. And who doesn't want to Apprentice under Steven Tyler? There you go. <laughs> with the <laughs> scarves. Uh, Scarve making. Um <laughs> So I, I I mean yeah you you've got all these different people these different place in these different places and there are all these different paths and it's, uh, this sounds so esoteric but it's really concrete and practical I mean it's it's less I know it's it's very theoretical but when you go and you read the stories that's where it becomes practical because you see people walking these paths and learning as they walked them. And and that's what's really meaningful to me at least when I when I was reading it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was this was a fun book to write because I was learning so much as I was writing it cuz so much of it was other people's stories and uh honestly I just started interviewing people, you know, friends of friends of friends and asking around and connecting with people on the web. Um, you know, which was a, a great place to find new and interesting people who had you know different stories. I found uh, one women woman, Ginny Pong, who lives in Singapore and runs this great doula business, you know, birth coach business uh, in Singapore. And she had this TEDx video that I stumbled upon and I reached out to her, and she just had this very interesting story. And as I mentioned before, as I started listening to some of the stories. I realized, as we often do when we, you know, read or, or listen to other people's stories, wow, I have something in common with this person, and then this person actually has something in common with this other person, and you just start to recognize uh, themes. I, I did. I started to see common threads. You know, these 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 threads of uh, awareness, apprenticeship, practice. All of it looked different from what they thought it would look like, and and for them. Uh, at some point, there was something unexpected that happened. Maybe it was a tragedy. Maybe it was getting laid off. Maybe it was cancer. Or, or maybe it was just uh, you know, as, as one of my friends told me recently, uh, when he turned thirty, he's like, "Man, life did life did not end up the way I thought it would." At least at this point in my life, I thought I'd be doing all these different things, and here I am, uh, you know, doing this, and it's not bad, but I never would have expected that. And I, I think that's what a, a calling is about. That's why I like this idea that you were being pulled towards something, you know, in, in some way externally. You know, you, you feel compelled by a need or a prompting that the world needs this and I ought to be doing it. Frederick Buechner says that your vocation is where um, the world's deep need and your deep joy uh, meets. And and I think that's, you know, that's kind of what we learn following all these other stories in the book.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the calling that you had to give this book away for free.
1: yeah. Well, um, I uh, I like doing different things every time I launch a book. I think uh, you know if you keep doing things the same way every time, people go, "Oh, great, he's got another book." And I love writing books um, and launching them as as much as I've done marketing in the past. Launching them for me is kind of a, a discipline. Like I just kind of want to move on to write uh, the next book. Uh, but, I realized that um getting somebody to read a book when there 's so many books out there and with indie publishing and you know ebook publishing it 's becoming easier and easier for anybody who has something to say to say it, which I love. but the challenge for that is when you're you're one of those people who has something to say there 's a lot more competition you know there's um, there 's a lot of noise uh, online and you know i 'm contributing to that noise, and so I want to make sure that what i 'm saying is first of all worthwhile and second, I want to do everything that I can to um, you know, get the book into people's hands because once people read a book and they like it, uh, usually they talk about it. So you have to write a good book, obviously, and I hope I've done that. Uh, and then you have to remove as many barriers and restrictions as you can to to get the book into people's hands. So I decided, um, you know, and I talked with the publisher about this and we figured out a way to make it work where um, in between uh, now and the launch of the book, which is March 24th, um, uh, we wanted to give the book away to anybody who is willing to pay shipping and handling anywhere in the world. Um, uh, you know, if they're willing to pay for the shipping and handling, which is just a flat price of six ninety nine, we'll ship you a, a free paperback book. And uh, thousands of people have already you know said yes to that, and it's really exciting. And and my goal is that uh, you know by the time uh, the. The, by the time the book launches, instead of saying, hey, everybody go buy my book, we've got 10,000 people saying this is a great book. Everybody should uh, go read it. For me, the goal is to just get as many books into people's hands because I think life change will happen. Uh, and, and then if people's lives are changed, they'll certainly talk about it, you know, and I won't have to worry about you know, how, many, how many books we sell. And, and I learned that you know, from watching Seth Godin years ago launch mm-hmm. uh, his self-published uh, version of Purple Cow where he gave away 10,000 copies. And, you know, uh, then a publisher said, Hey, uh, we want to publish this book and then ended up selling 250,000 copies. And so I, I think that's, um, it sounds really generous and I hope it, I hope it is. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, uh, generosity, um, works, you know. I think it's a great way to get people's attention, and um, you know, and I think it's uh, you know for people that you know might not be able to financially afford you know a twenty dollar book or whatever. I hope it you know lowers the the barrier for them to get this book that you know change their lives. I, I hope.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's not even that you're just giving the book away to people who pay the the shipping. Right now, they also instantaneously get the is
1: is it a digital copy? They get that right away yep. and they get that <laughs> and they get uh they get a uh they get a bunch of bonuses um it's like what 250 dollars in bonuses on a million top of that. a million dollars worth of bonuses okay, now now Sorry. it's not
0: generous because you're <laughs> lying
1: <laughs> no you know what i did it, oh um, you met
0: cumulative cumulatively across right. the board everybody together yes yeah. okay
1: yeah. Uh you get some you get you get the digital book so you can start reading it before it comes out, which I think is kind of exciting. You know, that's that's it's hard to get an advanced copy of a book and you know, we've we've worked that out for you. So if you pre-order the book now, you can start reading it today, you know, the digital copy. And then there's an online video course that I just released. Uh that's a four part uh video course talking about some of the themes in, in in the book, you know, the mindset shifts that people had to go through. Uh, before they could find their calling, it wasn 't just a matter of "Oh, this stuff happened to me, and then I did this. It was really a matter of they had to change their mind about the way they looked at life in order for them to find meaningful work uh, and that's that's free with the book as well this is this is you know I really wrote this book, Eric, because people were asking me about this process for you know the past several years, and i didn 't feel ready to really describe the whole process because you know i 'm early in it. Uh, but when I went out and did all of the, this research and all of these interviews, I felt like I got a, a picture of something that was, um, that not everybody was talking about. And, and I thought it would be, you know, instructive and, and helpful to people, certainly helpful to me. Um, and I thought this was, you know, the time, you know, to, to talk about this. And I, I think it can help a lot of people. So just trying to, um, you know, get the material into as many people's hands and I, I'm not a writer who has to make money just off of selling books. I have other streams of income and so I'm afforded a little bit of, you know, flexibility to um, you know, be a little bit more more generous with this in hopes of, you know, um getting this idea of what a calling actually looks like to spread. Well, and there's
0: that old uh, it's not old. I shouldn't say that. It, uh, Michael Hyatt says, <laughs> it's, "I'm not calling him old." <laughs> Stop it. Um, Michael Hyatt says, "You know what you wish you could do for do for one, what you wish you could do for many, and in this way, you've enabled yourself to do for many, and that's great." So uh, I'm really looking forward to the feedback. I know, and I would give you tons of feed, great feedback about it, but I'm recording, so. Um, <laughs> Anyway, in the show notes if and actually if people want to go now and and grab the book, you can go to beyond the to do list dot com slash art of work and I will put that link as well as everything else that we talked about, linking it up in the show notes for this episode, including your podcast a portfolio the portfolio life I think is what it 's actually called, yes, and among other things, the links to our previous conversations, which now, go back and listen to those and listen for the clues mm, to the through what line. Called? What do
1: I call those? Easter eggs? Yes, called? Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> And uh, Jeff, thanks for coming back on the show. It's been fun. Always a pleasure, Eric. Thanks so much. Thanks for what you're doing. I, I, um, I love being on the to-do list and I uh, really appreciate uh, you and all the work that you're doing and you know, how you're you know, sharing your calling with the world in a way that is adding a ton of value to people's lives, including mine. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening in on my conversation
0: with Jeff. If you're interested in getting that free book from him, head over to beyondthetodolist.com slash 88 for the show notes of this episode. You'll find the link there. You can click right through and get that for free. For the cost of shipping, get the digital copy immediately, as well as the over $250 in bonuses for free, as well as I'll put the links to Jeff's previous conversations with myself there as well. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next time.